You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. You know, today we're starting in the third part of our series on kings. Before we begin that, I want to say that, you know, stories can be very powerful. I remember when I was a young child, you'll see the video of me, several shots of me. I remember as a little one, every night my dad would go through the tradition of sharing the word with me. I remember one night he said, son, what do you want to read tonight? And as always, I would say, David and Goliath. He said, son, can't we read something else? We always read that. I guess I was a typical child. You know, children like repetition. They like uh, the familiarity. They like the security of the same story every night. You can read the same story every night for, I mean, for a hundred times in a row. It's just like brand new, right? But I think beyond that, there was something about the character of David that appealed to my boyish heart, the warrior, the courageous one. You know, little boys like things like that, don't they? Courageous ones. That's why they have all the little uh, men. Now, with this story, it really inspired me. You know, the Lord used this story in my life. My dad would read the Bible to me nearly every night. I don't know how long that went on, but I just remember that these truths became deeply embedded in my heart. And this morning I'm dedicating this sermon to him because my dad built within me a passion for the things of God. Now, stories like this we're going to look at this morning. Uh, Also, David in the lion's den is another type of story like this. Jonah and the great fish, which I was privileged to preach on last year. They're epic kind of stories. If we're not careful, we might just look at them as childhood stories, things that don't really apply to us today. But today I, I pray that we would look at this and consider this story again anew and afresh with an open mind that we might receive something from the Lord. Now this just have a little background at first here. Remember that last week we learned that Saul was rejected by God because he didn't have a heart for God. But he chose David even before David was born. Saul had fallen into unbelief and had uh, become oppressed by an evil spirit. And Saul heard that David was, that he, had, that he played the harp. He summoned David, and David came and did that for him. And that was really, the scripture says that's the only thing that really calmed Saul's spirit. He also made David his armor bearer. There was kind of a strange relationship between them because Saul really loved David, but we're going to see even a little later, I think next week, that he came to have an insane jealousy for him. But there were greater things happening in Israel at this time. The Philistines were continuing to occupy Israel. The the camp of Israel and the camp of the Philistines were in the Valley of Elah. And we have a slide here of that. The Valley of Elah was in the western part of Judah. And there was it was a vast valley. Even today, it's, it's lush with vegetation vegetation as, as it was then. And we're going to read the first four verses of that account right now, where that was, First Samuel 17, verses 1 through 4 says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokoth in Judah. They pitched camp in Ephesus-Damon between Soko and Azekai. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley of Elah between them. A champion named Goliath, he was a champion because he was a mighty warrior, was from Gath. 
he came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall, which is in, actually in their language was like six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scales of armor weighing 5,000 shekels, which is actually around 175 pounds. So this dude was a big guy. On the legs, he wore bronze sheaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. Sheaves are kind of like shin, knee guards, thigh guards to protect the legs during battle. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. and Its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer was ahead of him. David stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now in verse 16 it says, For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Basically 40 days and 40 nights. Does that sound familiar? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But see, in the meantime, David is not, even though he's been declared king, he's not functioning as a king yet. He's actually functioning as a shepherd boy back home. His brothers, his three elders, had gone ahead of him into, into battle with Saul. Now his father Jesse asked him, why don't you go check on your brothers and bring him some food? So I'm, kind of, I'm going to narrate this section of Scripture because I think it goes better. So he went to give them the food and check up on them. While he was there, he heard this taunt of Goliath. And David got really incensed. He was like, what's up with this? Why, why, why are you allowing this? Something needs to happen. Well, his older brother got a little angry because after all, he's, he's accusing him and the others there of being cowards. And uh, he says, what happens next to me is like the classic uh, dialogue between an older and younger sibling. He's like, hey, little twerp, what are you doing here? You need to go back home and tend to the sheep. You're not supposed to be here. This is not a place for a little boy. Go back home where you belong. David's like, has a classic response of the young kid. Can I even speak? What I do? You ever heard that? <laughs> anyway. What happened after that was Saul heard David and he called him. And immediately when David arrives, he goes, man, I'm going to take the giant down. Don't, don't, lose, don't lose it. I'm going, to, I'm going to be the one to redeem Israel from all of this. Saul did his best to just persuade him. He said, wait a minute. He said, he's a giant. He's been a champion uh, soldier from youth. You're just a boy. He said, wait a minute. I've killed, in the text it said, I've killed the lion and the bear, which indicates it was plural. I've killed lions and bears. He said, this just not going to be anything for me. I'm going to do it. So David had to honor his faith and gave him his blessing. And he sent him out. But before he did, he had him try on his armor. Now, I don't know if we have a picture of that. There it is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, if you can picture this, but you know, remember last week, we learned that Saul was like six foot six, a head taller than anybody in Israel. And he's having David try on his armor. Now keep in mind, David's only about 15 to 17 years of age. 
So he's trying that armor on and going, you know what? This <laughs> Saul, I'm sorry, but this just don't fit. And besides, I'm not used to it. So what David did, he took that armor off and he proceeded to go out and he took five stones out of one of the wadis or one of the streams of Egypt there, which even today those stones are in the waters there. And he put them in his pouch and he went out to proceed to battle the giant. And we're going to look at a a short video here and then we're going to compare that with Scripture. So we ready for that video. To secure the promised land, the Israelites must defeat the Philistines. But King Saul has lost God's blessing. And now he faces the Philistines' greatest champion, Goliath. Jonathan. The warrior who defeats him will be a rich man. Not one man in Israel. Not one of God's people. I'll do it. David, you're no soldier, you're a shepherd. Yes, a shepherd. I protect my sheep, God will protect me. Where is your faith? Where is your God? I will kill him. You'll need this. I'll be better without it. shadow of death. I fear no evil. You are with me. Thy rod and staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life.
Okay, now that's kind of a loose version of what, what actually happened. But uh, just read the scripture and just get the true account of, of what actually happened. I think, you know, when David was walking, he was sharing uh, Psalms 23. We don't know that he did that, but I think it would fit the, fit the scenario very much indeed. So this, uh, we're going to read verses 41 through 55 and recount this battle in scripture. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy, or that means kind of reddish, and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is... Not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The (laughs) stone sank deep into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David... triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand and struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine sword and drew it from the scabbard. After that, he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Shereem Road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. Thus, we have this epic story here. David defeated the giant Goliath. You ever think, what are some giants that we face today? Let's make a personal application of this story. Actually, a giant can be anything that stands between you and I in an intimate relationship with God. It could also be something that stands between you and I and our desire to serve Him. It could be a, a secret sin like Internet addiction. It could be something like worry and anxiety, especially in this day of economic, economic uncertainties. All of us struggle with faith of some sort. All of us are part of the struggle. In the Old Testament, there are several examples of that. You might remember Abraham. God told Abraham and Sarah that out of your seed, the whole earth is going to be blessed. Abraham is close to 100. Sarah's close to in her 90s. Abraham's like, okay, Lord, uh, I'm I'm nearly 100. Sarah's in her 90s, and we're going to have a baby. (laughs) That's actually what he actually did. He laughed. Sarah laughed too, and God actually confronted her. And said, so why do you laugh? And she had the audacity to say, well, I didn't laugh. He goes, yes, you did. <laughs> the Lord sees all. And he, he made a comment. He said, is anything too difficult for the Lord? I want us to grasp that this morning. 
Sometimes it's the most difficult times are when times are the most difficult. But God is there. God made a, a promise that he would do this, and God fulfilled his word. Also in Mark 9, verses 24, uh, in following, there was, a, young, there was a, a man who had a boy who was demonized from his early, earliest times in his life, and the man was really frustrated and uh, was struggling a lot. Jesus said, don't you know that all things are possible toward those who believe? The man responded, oh, Lord, I know I believe. Help my unbelief. See, we all struggle with that. The Lord didn't chastise him. The Lord didn't put him down. He admired his honesty, and he healed the boy. So to, we need to be honest in our struggles, though, and bring those struggles and those giants before God who is able to take us through that. There's a common, there's a pattern that unbelief follows that I want to talk about. Unbelief generates something here. It generates delusional thinking, fear, which results in spiritual bondage. We see the same pattern in our story today. You know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a real close relationship between our thinking and our beliefs. What we, how we think is how we believe. That's why I think Paul in 2 Corinthians states, uh, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because if we don't capture our thoughts, guess what? They'll capture us. And we'll be slaves. That's where the strongholds of the enemy are, is in our thinking. Think about what happened in the Garden of Eden when they believed Satan rather than, rather than the Lord. But this kind of breaks this down. What is delusional thinking? Delusional thinking is a strong conviction or belief despite evidence to the contrary. We see this uh, pattern in the people of God. In the story, you might remember the story in Numbers verses, uh, chapter 13, verses 31 to 33. God had promised Israel, you're going to inherit the land. It's yours. Go get it. Take it. So they went. They sent spies ahead of them. And Josh and Caleb were the only two who, who had faith. The rest of them came back and didn't have faith. Just look at that account in verses 31 to 33. But men who had gone up with him, that is Caleb, said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they, sp- and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours its inhabitants. Those living in it, all the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked... Small to them as well. These were the giants, the sons of Anak. And it was like, you know what? Why is that delusional thinking? Delusional thinking is a strong conviction, despite evidence to the contrary, which is what? Hadn't God already delivered them from so much already? Think about it. God had delivered them from a bondage of Egypt and Pharaoh. What about the wilderness experience? The many signs and wonders that were, that were done there. Miraculous preservation. Most of all, what about the, the opening of the Reed Sea where the, the people of God were able to pass through on dry land and then the water came back and crushed the enemies? They had the history of all that. And now they're like, well, no, there's some giants. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? You hear what I'm saying? They had a history of that. Now, 
the Old Testament is about these kinds of stories to warn us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that these stories are for us so that we might learn from them and not make, not make the same mistakes, not complete the same, not do the same pattern that happened to Israel in the wilderness. Now, this pattern is in Israel's history, as we've seen here in the Old Testament. Because of that, they didn't enter the, prom- they didn't enter the promised land. There was a whole generation that did not receive the land because of their lack of faith. The same pattern we see in our story. I think 1 Samuel 17 is an account of delusional thinking, uh, strong conviction despite evidence to the contrary. Why wouldn't, David, why wouldn't Saul rather look at the past and say, wait a minute, we had this issue with giants before and we, were, and we didn't enter the land because of it. I'm not going to let it happen again. I'm going to be a good leader and I'm going to have faith and I'm going to face this giant. I'm going to take down that sucker. But he didn't do that. He had delusional thinking. Not only that, but that graduates into fear. It's interesting, as I said, our thinking and our beliefs are intertwined. They're very close together. And we don't capture our thoughts, they'll capture us. But that leads to the emotional aspect of us. We think, we believe, and then we feel, and then we act out. We talk about that in counseling all the time. Thinking and beliefs generate feelings, generates behavior. Spiritual bondage, you know, fear can be a, a slavery enough on its own. But sometimes people go into deeper spiritual bondage. It happened to Saul. He, can, he asked for a medium or spirit, which was directly said in Scripture not to do. David was the one who had a heart for God because he believed God. So what happened in 1 Samuel 17, 11, again, I'll read that. It says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Man, if you want to do a rich Bible, a rich study, word study, do a study of dismayed. It means to not be, to be uh, totally fearful, uh, unbelieving. Uh, there's no hope anymore. But over 200 times in the Scripture, our Lord says, "Do not be dismayed. Do not, do not fear. Fear not." There's a message there. Then we look and have to understand that fear is a, not always a bad thing either. A lot of times in Scripture when it talks about fear, it says fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's positive fear, the one who holds the keys to our salvation. But negative fear is when we fear people, places, and things, Goliath, and worry about the future. Those are the big giants, I think, that, that we face. David Face the giant with faith. He was a man after God's own heart because he believed God's word. He saw God work in history and he believed in faith that he could take the giant down. Now we're going to look at some insights for combat based on the story. There's some insights for combat. The first insight for combat is we battle from victory, not for victory. Now let me, let me describe. G- Christ has won the overarching Defeat with the enemy. And there's a diagram. It's called the already but not yet. Here's how it works. Look up to your far right. You see D-Day? D-Day was, this might be a history lesson for some, but when our allied troops landed on Normandy, they took the beachhead. They won. 
From that point on, historians tell us that the war was basically for all essential purposes over because the powers had been defeated. It was over. But the war, even though the war was technically over in principle, there was still battles and struggles. There was still lives lost. There was still casualties in the war until the war was officially ended to the far to your far right over here in 1945. See, the same analogy is with us. At Jesus' cross and resurrection, he defeated the principalities and powers. Yet, in the historical timeline of life, between now and to your far right, the victory day, our, our resurrection day, and the new heavens and the new earth, we battle against, we battle against things. We have chaos. We have struggles. God wants us to be a warrior amidst all of that. Now, one of the things I want to allude to today, you know, today there's kind of a, a feeling that things are, kind of, things are hopeless. Uh, there are different views about the end times, and this is not a sermon about that. But some say, you know, all hell's breaking loose. Just look at the world. Look what's, what's happened all around us. There's nothing we can do about it. We're going to hell in a handbasket. I want to say something. Despite how appearances may be, God has called us to be warriors in the midst of it. He's, he's given us our marching orders and said, I've given you the great commission. All authority in heaven and earth is, is given unto me to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let us go forth as warriors. But the war basically was over. Was over. The battles continued. Colossians says it this way. Colossians 2.15 says that in having disarmed the principalities and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He's already won, but we're in, in missed battles and struggles. It's not perfect yet. We'll enter into that when, in the new heavens and the new earth. I want, you, I want us to consider something today is even though you may not feel victorious, you are a victor according to the word of God. In fact, you're more than conqueror. You may feel like, Lord, why don't you bring that spouse to me? I'm looking for a spouse. It's way overdue. Lord, why don't you bring, why, why don't you take this economic situation I'm under and, and take me out from under it? I can't deal with it. I mean, there's a reason for it. Romans 8.28 said, For all things work together for good to them that love God that are called according to His purpose. God maybe is at work within us, building our character, perhaps also in those around us. And I think we need to understand, David, who, who's so confident today, if we read the book of Psalms, he wasn't always this confident warrior. There were times when he felt like giving up and he says, Lord, what, all, how come my enemies, are, they, they're winning around me, Lord? What's happening? What's, I don't understand what's going on. But he, in the end, he exalts the Lord and realizes that it, it was the Lord who was his deliverer. You are already a victor. Someone once said that they, they looked at the book of Revelation and they read the, the last part and it said, Jesus wins. He's the victor already. Let me tell you, Romans 8, 35 through 37, 39 rather, says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're already in victory. We're battling from victory, not for victory. The emphasis is not upon us and being morally courageous throughout, throughout the problems and conflicts. But it's first and foremost about the bigness of our God who's already won the victory. Not only are we battling from victory, but we're, we're battling in the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in 1 Samuel sixteen thirteen, it said that David was anointed, as kings were then, with oil. And at that time, he was empowered by the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on people differently than it does in the days of the New Covenant. It would come on people spontaneously. Uh, sometimes, the, like for instance, when the Lord uh, called the, the, the judges that delivered Israel, His Spirit would come on those who feared Him, on, on certain those, and they would rise up. Or people would be appointed like a king or whatever, and if they followed the Lord, they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in the New Covenant, Holy, the Holy Spirit is poured upon uh, all of us, and all of us have that power in the midst of our struggles. Acts 1.8 says, Christ prophesied for the upper room. He said that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. 1 John 2.20 is a verse that also talks about the anointing. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we become a believer, we receive power, but we also receive knowledge. We receive an understanding of spiritual things that we didn't have before. So we're battling from victory, not for victory. We're battling in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we're also to look at our challenges through eyes of faith. 1 Samuel 17, 37, when, when David approached Saul, he said, The Lord who delivers me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, and again, it's plural there, lions and bears, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. What did he say? You know, God's done it then. In the past, he's delivered me from lions, from bears. He's going to do even greater things. The encouragement for us this morning is to look at what God has already taken you through, what lions and bears have been in your life. Uh, I know for myself, I went on a camping trip. I feel like one time I was actually delivered by a bear, I mean from a bear. But what lions, just look at our history. What lions and bears has God delivered us from? 1 John 5, 4 through 5 talks about our faith in relation to this. It says, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is a victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We're battling from victory, not for victory. We're battling in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We're battling with eyes of faith. We're also in our battles. We're not to delay dealing with the giant. You would call in 1 Samuel 17, 16, that 
the, the giant for 40 days and 40 nights, does that sound familiar, <laughs> would taunt the armies of Israel. And it said they were terrified and dismayed. Now, imagine this, 40 days and 40 nights. Every time the giant came out, they were like shaking in their boots. What's, what are we going to do? If we, we have to deal with that, God wants us to deal with that fear in a timely fashion. It might mean that we have to seek prayer support from people and maybe swallow our pride. You know, we need each other. We do. We need each other to help us in this battle for belief. We need one another so much. We, we need the strength and power of the Lord. Not only that, are we to look with eyes of faith. If We can't delay because the longer that we allow this to fester, the unbelief and the fear and the anxiety, the longer it festers inside of us. Can you imagine after 40 days and 40 nights? I mean, they were, they were really fearful as they could be. There was no movement at all. They were like the frozen chosen. God wants us to not delay. Not only that, also, we're not to trust in our weapons. Now, I had made me a uh, slingshot, and uh, I think I left it in the chair up there. But here's the thing. I want us to uh, realize something is that it's not there. The thing is, I think I left it outside, but the thing is, I was going to sling it. It had some marshmallows in it, but it didn't work. It, 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 didn't, it didn't work that well. So I think maybe there's a reason why I'm not, not doing it. But here's the thing. Don't, don't trust in your weapons. It's not about the weapons. It's about our God. David said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and he will not withhold any of you from me. So all may know that there is a God in Israel. Those gathered there will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. Also, another in, the last insight for battle is that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. David was humble. I think that's the one, one reason he had a heart after God because God recognized, hey, I'm, he's trusting fully in his God, not in his abilities, not in who he was, but how great God was. Certainly, Goliath was the epitome of pride. Here we have a giant who's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're going to take, huh, who are you little man, you trying to take me? <laughs> you're going to take me down, man. Here comes David, humble. Man, the battle's the Lord's. I'm going to take you down because I come representing the God of Israel. Proverbs 16, 13 says that uh, pride comes before destruction. <laughs> Throughout the scripture, God is, that's one sin that God especially hates is pride because that keeps us from humbling ourselves before him. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And Goliath fell. This story, one of the things I love about it, is that it's a picture of, of Christ. 
it is the story of David and Goliath is typological and points forward to Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? David is a type of Christ. His throne, earthly throne, is a picture of the greater eternal heavenly throne. In this story, we look and we find that uh, there are some similarities. You remember when Jesus uh, went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights? Well, in our story here, it said that uh, David is anointed by the Holy Spirit and he's led into the wilderness to deliver Israel and destroy Goliath who defies the armies of Israel for 40 days and 40 nights. See the, the Old Testament, is, that's kind of a picture of the Lord. Jesus, in Mark 1, 12 and 13, is anointed by the Holy Spirit also. He's the greater David and he's led into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to resist the temptations of Satan and destroy the works of the devil. See that? And then David destroys Goliath through a fatal head wound, 1 Samuel 17, 48 through 51, and brought deliverance to Israel. Jesus destroys Satan through a fatal head wound by his death and resurrection, bringing about a greater deliverance for the people of God from sin and death. Remember that was promised way back in the Old Testament, Genesis 3. And from the very beginning, from the fall of Adam and Eve, God says, He shall bruise you on the head. It's a fatal head wound. It's all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And He's available for us today as our strength and as our power in the midst of our battles and conflicts. Now, I don't know if at this point if they want, want to start coming down. I just have several other, several small points here. First one is who are we trusting in in our battles? There's a picture of Atlas carrying the world. That can be us straining, trying to cover all, trying to, uh, in our own flesh of strength, carry all the, all, all the things we're not meant to do, fight our own battles and our own strength and our own flesh. But Jesus has holds the whole world in his hands. He's challenging us today to rest in him. Maybe you're, you're a believer today. Maybe you're not a believer. You can be introduced to that, to that God of power and become a part of the family of God. But today maybe you're a Christian and you haven't been walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and you've, you've been doing trying to do everything in your own strength. God wants to show us today that He is the battle is the Lord's and to humble ourselves before Him that we might do even greater things than lions and bears that God might deliver us. Now, at this time, we're going to have our offering, but I'm available afterwards. Elders are available if anyone desires to talk any, any further about this, if there's a stirring in anyone's heart. But right now, we're going to have, a, have the offering. If, if you're a guest, we're not asking for you to give today unless you feel so led. But it's time for us to, those of us that are part of the family of God here or who call, call this church our body that we, we come to on a regular basis, to give of, of what, we, what we have that, that we might be able to continue the ministry of the kingdom here. 
And now as our ushers are coming, we're going to pray. Lord, just uh, we bless this offering. Thank you. Thank you for the gift and the giver. And I just pray that we would continue, Lord, to, to do our battles not without you. Help us realize that we're not orphans. As you said in John, Lord, we have you, the Holy Spirit, who's come to us with power and knowledge. And I pray, oh, Lord, that we would depend on you as the author and finisher of our faith and that we would go on in our mar- in, with our marching orders knowing that you are ahead of us and the battle is the Lord's. Now, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this time that we have the rest of the time and in the coming weeks. Help us to be your representatives. Help us to be those who would follow you, who would be people of faith, realizing that faith is, is contagious, Lord, and that in our faith, Lord, we, we're going to affect others around us, our family, and they're going faith is more caught than taught, Lord. Help, our, help us not to be, uh, be caught up in unbelief and model unbelief to our children and to those around us, but to rather model what it is to be a, a person of triumph in, a, in our faith. These things we ask in your holy and precious name. The name above all names, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.